Hi, this is Chris Sorensen. Welcome to Brookville Road Community Church Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please take a moment to check out our website at brookvilleroad.cc for all the latest information about what's going on at Community Church. I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in becoming a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Well, good morning. Welcome to my church family here in this room and church family that's watching online and guests that are joining us today. And today we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And uh, this is kind of one of those uh, awkward subjects, I guess. And so as as we talk and open up God's Word and deal with this particular subject, uh, I'm kind of sensitive that sometimes when I'm in a congregation or I'm in a group of people that's listening to the speaker, I'm like, wow, he must really feel awkward talking about this kind of thing. And so I just want to set your mind at ease, even though like my mom and my dad, are in the room, and my daughter's going to be watching this, I, I don't feel awkward. So uh, if you feel anything like that today, that's for you. So you can feel awkward on your own. Uh, so uh, just know that as I, I talk about this today, uh, I'm, I'm pleased that we get to open up God's Word, read it, and then uh, apply it to our lives once again. So 1 Corinthians chapter 5. All right, uh, here we go. It's actually reported, this is Paul writing to a Corinthian church. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality. And, you know, what would a sermon be without some Greek? Uh, that word there is pornea. Pornea. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And of a kind. So there's different kinds of sexual immorality. There's different kinds of pornea. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. Now, pagans are people who don't even know God. They don't have a relationship with God. And there's something going on in the Corinthian church that people who are outside the church are like, well, that's weird, and that's wrong. So he says, it's not even tolerated among the pagans, for a man has his father's wife. And you're arrogant. You're arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Now, for our culture, our, our culture would find it odd that we would ever say that there's a wrong way to do sexuality. Like, there's, there's, there's a way that is, is not right. But what God has done is he comes along and, and he creates these boundaries in our lives. He, he creates a, a fence. He, he creates like this, this road sign uh, that's, that's blocking off the road. It says, do not enter, uh, road closed, don't go down this way. And, and before we go tearing down fences, before we take down boundaries and we say, all right, these restrictions, all restrictions wrong, let's throw off restriction, no boundaries, we need to ask, why is that fence there? Why, why did God say this? And so when God restricts something in our lives, he's not doing it to punish us. He's doing it so that you and I can flourish in this life. Our Heavenly Father, our Maker, has made this world in such a way that he is constantly showing his love to us. And he wants the very best for us. And so he sets up these boundaries, these markers, these road signs that says, don't go this way because if you pass by that, it's dangerous. There's consequences on the other side. So out of love, he says, don't go there. And what we discover in chapter one is there's this guy and he's sleeping with his stepmom. Now, now we, know, we say it's his stepmom because if it was his mother, it would have said he has his mother, but it says his stepmother. Either way, it's whack, right? It's just sin. This is just, it's just wrong. 
And so there needs to be discipline. And so Paul's going to talk about there needing to be discipline within this church body. And we're going to cover that next week when, when we dig even further into this. But it needs to be addressed. There's immorality in the church. And so, like, if you are living a sexually immoral life and you call yourself a Christian, those two worlds, they don't fit. And there needs to be discipline. There needs to be change. There needs to be repentance. There needs to be course correction. You need to begin to follow God's path the way that he has designed it and instruct somebody who is walking with him to go. And so, again, our culture looks at us and says, man, how, how could you as a church, how could you ever tell somebody about how to do their sexuality? How dare you? I mean, there's nothing more private. There's nothing more like, you know, about a person's identity than their sexuality. How dare you as a church talk about what happens behind closed doors? How, how dare you do something like that? But at the same time, the very same culture looks at the church and says, oh, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. But then when we go to address the hypocrisy, they cry foul. You can't have it both ways. It has to be addressed. That's what Paul is talking about. God's going to give us some boundaries in our lives because he loves us, because he cares for us. And when we step outside of that, there needs to be some discipline because there's consequences. There's either consequences in this life or there's consequences after death. It is serious business. And so Paul comes along and he says, for the sake of the church, for the sake of the witness of Jesus Christ in the church, your behavior, it's toxic and it's got to be addressed and it's got to be brought and dealt with and called out. And again, the, the, the world looks at us and say, how dare you? You can't talk about that kind of thing. Really? See, th th this is just the, the kind of the reality that exists is where there's two different kingdoms living in parallel right now. We've got the kingdom of the world that tells us how to live one way, but then you have the kingdom of God for which everybody who's received Jesus Christ, made him Lord and Savior, we now have a new kingdom that we're living in. We're not living in the kingdom of the world and living according to the world's rules. That's why we can't take what the world says that the church needs to do and then apply it because they're not running this kingdom. Christ is running this kingdom and has explained how to do it. And those two, two kingdoms are influencing one another. And the world says, you as Christians, you don't get a voice in our kingdom. You don't get a voice in our world. But at the same time, they'll look at you as Christians and say, you can't do this. You can't do that. But what we have is a responsibility as the church to look at the world and call sin, sin, and to address reality and to bring it to bear under the lordship and the kingship of Jesus Christ. That is the kingdom that trumps the kingdom of this world. And Jesus is ruling and reigning right now, not just in the church, but in the entire world. And every nation is to bow. Uh, Psalm chapter 2 says every nation needs to kiss the king. The king is Jesus Christ, and he's ruling and he's reigning right now. So when it comes to the topic we're talking about that I'm reading out of the Bible and the world claims authority over, they don't have authority. Our king has authority. With that understanding, Paul isn't interested in disciplining the world. He's talking about discipline within the church. And so as I talk today, I'm not like coming against the world and bringing some form of discipline to the world, but I am saying we can look at the world and we can say, nope, that's wrong, that's sin, that's immoral. 
Like, for instance, I'm thinking about uh, John the Baptist. Remember, John the Baptist goes up to Herod Antipas, and he's like, hey, you can't have your brother's wife. That's wrong. That's sin. That's immoral. What does Herod do? Throws him in prison. Eventually, John the Baptist loses his head. But that doesn't negate the fact that he had this responsibility to come into that world system and say, that's false, that's wrong, that's sinful. So what here, what we find is Paul is saying within the church, when it comes to discipline, we have the responsibility to discipline in the realm of sexual immorality. He he draws this out in verse 11. While you're looking there in 1 Corinthians 5, drop down to verse 11. Paul writes this, but now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. That means somebody who calls themselves a Christian. They call themselves a Christian if he's guilty of sexual immorality. But it doesn't just end there. He's like, I've got more. Sexual immorality or greed or an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Not to even to eat with such a one. Not even to fellowship with somebody who says, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, but I live my life antithetical to what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, twice we've seen in Scripture, verse 1, verse 11, Paul uses this term sexual immorality. And every time he uses it there, it is the word pornea or pornos. It's where we get the word pornography. And what we've already seen is this this pornea, there's different kinds There's different types. And what he's getting at here is that this is anything that is outside the way that God has designed our lives to run and operate in the realm of sexuality. The Bible tells us very very early on in Genesis chapter 2 that God made Adam and Eve. And when he made Adam and Eve, he put them in the context of marriage. It says right there in that chapter, they're husband and wife. And this is the way that God has designed it, all the way from Genesis to the end, to, to Revelation. And what sexual sexual immorality is, anything outside of male-female sexuality within the context of marriage. Everything that falls outside of that, God says, that's wrong. That is sexual immorality. So it's a pretty broad term. It it covers a lot of different things. Now, here's the deal. I know, I know, I know. As I talk about this, some of you are going to say that that we're just talking about what, what the church is against. Or, or what God is against, or what the Bible is against. And some of you might even be tempted to think that as I, I stand up here, that I'm, I'm coming at you at, at a place of self-righteousness, and I'm pounding the Bible, and you're all, you're just, you're scum, you're terrible. I'm not coming from that place. You need to understand that I am coming from a place of having blown through the sign that says road closed, and I wrecked my life. And by God's grace, he's picked me up off of that place, placed me back on the road, and I'm standing next to the road close sign, and I'm waving my arms, and I'm telling you, you don't want to go there. So don't, I'm not coming at you with anger. I'm coming out of you with a passion of love to say, let's get this right. Let me save you from some heartache. That's where I'm coming from. And if I get a little intense, it's because you're loved, not because I'm angry. I'm not angry. And you might think, well, he's, all, he's just against certain people that are living a certain lifestyle. I love them too. Even if they never change, I love them too. But we must align ourselves with God's word who says, I've got a fence, I've got a boundary because I love you and I want the very best for you. That's where we're coming from. God says, I've designed sexuality to work in this way. He's not against sex. He made it. He's the one who's like, there is joy in this. 
He has designed it, and there's joy. The myth in our culture is like if you're a Christian or you're, you're a conservative theologically, that you're not going to have good sex. That ain't true. That's not true. Statistically, that's not true. Now, I'm not talking like 100%, you know, but I'm telling—never mind. So— the, 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 the purity of marriage, this act, this symbol, man, it's just the most beautiful symbol that God has given to us. Again, all the way from Genesis to Revelation, it's a picture. It's a picture of Christ and the church, and it's beautiful. Look at Revelation 19. It'll be up on the screen, or you can turn to the last book in your Bible. Revelation chapter 19, verse 7. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory. So John, at this point, he's looking and like we've all been gathered in the kingdom of God, heaven on earth. We're right there in body, loving on God. And friends, that moment's coming quick. Like before you know it, we're going to be with our Savior in the heavenly kingdom right here on earth. And if you don't think it's coming quick, just keep your eye on the news and what's going on right now. He'll be here before we know it, or we'll be on the other side, and we're going to be with him. And we're going to be exulting. What are we exulting in? Um, there's a party. It's a wedding ceremony for the marriage of the lamb. The lamb is Jesus Christ. The marriage of the lamb has come. And his bride, his bride, that's us. That's the church. That's believers. And the bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. This is the wedding dress. It's a beautiful dress that the bride of Christ is wearing. What is that dress? For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. The righteous deeds of the saints. The reality is that this, this act, it has always been pointing to like humanity, the context of humanity and covenants and marriage and pointing to the, the culmination of all things when our creator who, who began this whole world and the story that has been told, it culminates in this relationship with him forever. In fact, to, to spell it out so that we'll clearly see it, Paul to another church in Ephesus, he writes this in Ephesians chapter five, Ephesians five, verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Okay, this is, a, this is a reference to a physical union between a husband and a wife. And that physical union between a husband and a wife is a picture of Christ and the church. And in case you don't understand that, Paul's like, well, let me go ahead and just spell it out for you. Verse 32, this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And so when we go and we destroy that symbol... It's not only a fragmentation of our own lives, it begins to destroy the witness of Jesus Christ to his church. That's why Paul says, we got to deal with this. We, we don't just let this slide. And again, he's, he's not saying, I'm not talking about the outside world. I'm not talking about disciplining them. I'm talking about what has happened when the outside world and its culture has begun to influence what is happening in the church. And once again, the age in which we find ourselves, the outside world is influencing the church. There are, there are just certain times and seasons and cultures where the influence of the world becomes stronger within the church. It's not always that way. 
That there's moments even within our own history here in America where we, we have a great awakening, where we have a, a transformation and a revival and what begins to happen in the church and the Holy Spirit bringing repentance and change begins to spill out into homes and schools and government and there's transformation. You have a Judeo-Christian nation loving God with standards. But what we find Paul dealing with in Corinth, dealing with sexual immorality, sweeping into the church is what we find in the church today and the season that we find ourselves with the kingdom of this world seeking to influence the kingdom of God. The cultural attitude towards sexuality is permeating the church as a whole. I'm not just talking about this. I'm talking about the church. The website, christianmingle.com. Christian Mingle's a, a dating website. They, they did this survey and they, they asked people, are you going to wait until marriage before you have sex? And the response was 11% of the people on Christian Mingle, Christians on Christian Mingle, were going to wait before having sex. Nine out of 10 were going to decide to have sex outside of marriage. One out of 10 said, I'm, I'm going to remain pure until I get married. I'm going to do it God's way. The attitude towards sexuality is permeating the church. And Paul's concern, as well as my concern, or any other pastor who's kind of looking at this kind of thing, is this idea that you think that you can do whatever you want with your body, and it really doesn't affect your spirit. You can do whatever you want physically, and it won't affect your soul or your relationship and your standing with the Lord. And so our culture and even people in the church say, well, you shouldn't talk about this stuff. You, you shouldn't bring this kind of thing up. Why, why don't even hold people accountable for this kind of thing? As long as it's two consenting adults or it's not geared toward children, which I believe given enough time, even that's going to go away. If you, if you look at the amount of grooming that is going on regarding children now, if you don't understand that word, the indoctrination that begins to happen in sexualizing children younger and younger. I mean, all you got to do, turn on a TV or watch a movie or, or the radio, whatever it is, and you begin to find things are talked about in a way that, man, when I was a kid, what? Like, there's stuff that I turn on the radio, like, we need to hear about, if I hear one more ED commercial, good grief. <laughs> like, there's, there's stuff that we watch and that we see, and it begins to change and, and, and begin to move people's minds and thoughts in a direction. And I, I realize that when I talk about something like pedophilia, like, people scoff at that kind of thing. Like, no, that would never happen. 25 years ago, I stood in front of a congregation, and I saw what was happening in our culture with the normalization of homosexuality and people just accepting it, it being fine, and it's not a big deal. And look how far we've come in 25 years. I saw that envelope being pushed. I said to the congregation, that's one envelope. Another envelope to come along will be the issue of pedophilia. And they scoffed. I don't think they could scoff now. I think we have enough information to be like, oh, look, right here. This is wrong. It's immoral, and, and it's not going to change out there in the world. And the reason that the world can't change it is because the world or culture, it has zero backbone, and it has no moral authority to stand on to stand up against any sexual deviant behavior. What, what do they turn to? What do they go to? What is the standard? I just feel like it's wrong. Well, it really doesn't matter what you feel is wrong. Because you get enough people to begin to feel differently, and then it's moved. 
That fence is no longer there. It's just moved along some other place. And so we say, well, the greatest, highest good in our culture is what we all kind of feel in a moment. And standards and morals keep moving and changing because they have no standard. We have a standard. We have God's word. And our highest good isn't what we feel or our opinion or what we might want to make right. And so people say, well, we just got to love you know, as a church, we just got to love. We got to love everyone, and we got to love everything, and we got to love everything even that happens within the church. And Paul disagrees. He comes along, he's like, no. No, somebody has to stand up and say, that's wrong, that's sin. That's love. To be able to, to come forward and say in, in love, look, this is what God says. This is the boundary. This is what he said. There's consequences. There's pain. There's pain on the other side of this. That's love. It would be like me committing adultery on Tammy. One of you guys, you, you find me in my sexual sin, and you're like, bro, you can't do that. You, you can't do that to Tammy. You can't do that to your family. You can't do that to the church. You can't do that to Christ. And I'm like, dude, I'm doing me right now. I'm doing me right now. And don't you project your values on me. Right, who, who are you to tell me? Because I feel this. This is what I feel on the inside so you have no authority or accountability to tell me what to do. And Paul comes along, the Bible comes along and says, no, love says, I'm going to tell you the truth, and truth trumps feelings. Your feelings should not be the dictator of what is reality. Reality is reality. Truth is reality. God is reality. And he has a standard for us. And sometimes I wonder, how did we get here? How did we get here as a culture? where we stand up here and we say the truth and some of you are just squirming. Sometimes I just, I, I wake up, and I don't know if anybody else senses this or feels this, I wake up sometimes and I think, am I living in a nightmare? Like what, what has happened to our culture? It's like I fell asleep in 2019 and I wake up now and I'm like, what? What is going on? How did we find ourselves in this place? where we're having certain conversations that are very, very, very clear within God's word, have been orthodox Christianity, have been standards of morality even beyond that. And we're saying, no, anything goes. Well, the reason is, the reason we could say that, that somebody can sleep with somebody of the same gender, or gender is fluid, or you can sleep with whomever you want to sleep with. Inside marriage, outside marriage, it really doesn't matter. It's the exact same problem that Paul was facing in Corinth. It's an attitude. It's a mindset. And here's what it is. In the Greek thought, they believed that the, the body and the spirit are separate. It's like a dualism. It's a dualistic mindset. And the body and the spirit, they never meet. They never really come together. It, so you can do something in the body, and it's not really going to affect your, your person and who you are. And that is the exact distinction that we see going on culturally all around us. For instance, when, when it comes to um, you know, gender, right? People will say sex is the organs that you're born with, but gender is what you feel and choose. That, that there's this dualism, right? There's a separation between, all right, this, this may be some biology, but I feel something different. And those two aren't really coming together. You separate body from soul, and you can do whatever you want with your body. It doesn't really matter because it has no effect on you as a person. Right? This, this, is, this is even where the abortion debate is at. It's called uh, personhood theory. Like, like when does the 
child on the inside. When, do, when does that become a person, right? They used to say it's, it's just tissue. It's clumps of cells. They don't really argue that any longer because we have so much technology and we understand that it's not really just like a clump of cells anymore. And we understand about how that baby is forming in there. But they say it's just like a clump of cells. The question is, when does that become a person? When, do, when does it become a child? Uh, I better not say that. Um, I'm, I'm filtering. I'm doing good. Somebody's praying for me. Thank you. So, so the body's just biology, right? So the body's biology, and so what you do in your body really doesn't affect your person, and so you can say, it's my body, my choice. That's wrong. <laughs> that, that child in you, that's not your body. That has a different heartbeat, different brain waves, different genetics. N not your body, but when we say, well, it's just a clump of cells, it's just a body, and whatever I choose to do with my body doesn't affect my person, we start going down some really interesting roads. You start making some distinction between those two things. You can do whatever you want with your body because it doesn't matter. Matter doesn't matter. Matter doesn't matter. We're just animals doing animal things. You can thank evolution for that. Like, how many things am I going to, like, step on today, right? Like, oh, let's just call it out. Like, I'm going to need a ruling from the elders. Are we good? Can I go off on, like, six different things and preach everybody out of here today? Randy, Chris, are we okay? <laughs> that screwed up. Look at Genesis. Like, come on. Are, are we followers of Christ and his word or not? All of this stuff, it is tied together. And you begin to, to lose an understanding of God and his word revealed to us. And you start going down a slippery slope. That is where we find ourselves. My prayer, this, uh, I'm not filtering myself. Uh, this, this is my prayer. I hope we are sliding so fast that people just wake up and go, well, that's nuts. And we have people who aren't even Christians be like, well, that's just wrong. I'm interested in protecting my kid. I'm interested in what this culture is pushing on them. That's, that's my desire. I hope that happens so that we all begin to open our eyes and see and wake up from our slumber. So to our culture, we, we have bodies which don't mean anything. They're like these pleasure centers, right? We just have feelings. I have you know, desires, and so I'm just going to feed that, and that, my, that feeling becomes the highest good. But here's the thing. In Christianity, there's integration. There's integration between the body and the soul and the spirit. They're not two separate things. They're connected, and what you do with one affects the other. That's why you can't just sleep with your stepmom, think that everything's fine, come into worship like, hey, we're good. That's why you can't sleep with a whole bunch of, of women or men and be like, well, I'm a Christian. I've got the bumper sticker. I attend a particular church and I sing some songs. I'm a Christian. That's, that's why you can't like have a chick on the side and then be a pastor and be like, no, no, this is fine. There is right and wrong. And when you bring that into the church, Paul says, oh, that's toxic. And you can't look the other way. But in our world, there's this dualism that says, okay, what I do in the body, it's never really going to affect my person. And then God comes along. And he says, no, 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 no. You're a whole person. I made you complete. Your body, your soul, your spirit, those things are connected. And what you do in your body, that matters. Your body matters. Physical things matter. 
I mean, we, we just kind of look at the beginning of how we got here, and you think about God creating everything, and he's like, okay, I'm going to make some stars, and that's a thing. Those are things like we can see them. We can study them, and he's going to be like, I'm going to make a planet. I'm going to make rivers. I'm going to make mountains, and those are tangible things that we can see, and we can witness. We can feel. We can touch. We can smell. I'm going to make a human being. I'm going to make human beings, and I'm going to make them good, and he looks at things that he makes. He's like, well, this is good. This is very good, and I made man, and I made woman, and you have been created in my image. And anytime you start to separate and say, my body is separate from my spirit, you are doing damage to what the creator has made. Because you're a whole person. What you do in your body matters. It affects your soul. It affects your spirit. Your body matters. Your gender matters. There is male and female it's really weird that, like, I have to say that. But I have to say it. This, this week, I was watching a, a clip of a, a, a senator who was at her alma mater at Wyoming University. And she stood up in front of the graduating college class of 2022, and she said, we, we know from science that there are two sexes, male and female, and they booed her. They boot her for like 20 seconds. And I'm like, how are they graduating? Did they pass biology? Like, I don't even know how you teach biology. And again, I, look, I'm not judging. Like, I'm not judging those students. I'm not disciplining them. But I can't come along and say, that's whack. You're missing truth. You're missing reality. The things that are happening around us within our culture and the conversations, we have to open our eyes, we have to see it for what it is, we have to have some critical thinking and be like, no, 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 no. And that doesn't need to be said to my child. I was watching a, a video the other day that came off of TikTok. I don't have TikTok, but I, I saw this video come through of a, a teacher, first grade teacher in Boston. Uh, she was born female. She looks like a man now. She's on a Zoom call with K through second graders. And she said to the K through second graders that when a child is born, when a baby is born, the doctor looks at the baby, makes his best guess about whether it's a boy or a girl, and sometimes they get it wrong. Now, you need to understand, I'm not judging. There are individuals right now that you and I need to love who are hearing things and being influenced and not hearing out of love, truth. And as a culture, friends, when you step outside these walls, it's, it's probably easier for me to say this kind of thing because we're in church and it's like, oh, this is a safe place to say. You will be influenced and your children will be influenced. And all I'm saying is think critically. Look at God's word and do not let this culture wash you away. Your body matters. You need to be able to say that to your children and grandchildren. And your gender matters. There's a TED Talk. It's a famous TED Talk. It's from a doctor named Paula Johnson. Has 1.2 million views on, on TED. I, I can't believe that it's still there. She's a cardiologist. She's a doctor. And she says that every cell in your body has a sex. Every cell in your body has a biological sex attached to it, which means that men and women were different down to the cellular level. That means that our, our brains are different, our hearts are different, our lungs are different, 
Our joints are different. And so no matter what your gender philosophy is, when you are sick and the doctor lays you up on a table, they need to know your biological sex. And we are not giving any respect or honor to the uniqueness of femaleness or maleness. And the Bible tells us in God's word that God made the male and female. Those are distinct binaries with distinct, beautiful characteristics and with distinct, I'll just make more people upset, distinct roles that we have in our lives. Your gender matters. Your body matters. And what you do with your body matters. Let's, let's look at another verse here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. He writes this. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one what? What's our word? Body. Becomes one body. You become one body with a prostitute, one body with her. For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. Oh, Paul, what are you talking about? What do you pull this stuff out of? And he's like, well, Jesus, Mark chapter 10. Jesus said, he's talking about marriage. He says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And then he goes on and he says, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Speaking of divorce, there's another one. He's not in favor of that either. He's longing for our covenants to be a picture of what God has created and made. And we take it so lightly, but we become one flesh in this act. One flesh. What happens is in this act, you become one with somebody else emotionally, psychologically, spiritually one with somebody else. You join them in this physical act and you're giving away a part of yourself. You, you are connecting with that person. And when you do this multiple times, you're promiscuous, and you are giving away part of your flesh every single time. Every time you have a partner, you are giving parts of yourself away. Before long, you don't have much left. I don't know if you've ever met somebody who was one way, and then they've led a promiscuous lifestyle, and they're not the same person. They don't even know who they are because they've given themselves away. And so a loving, a loving Heavenly Father comes along and says, like, that's why I've designed this beautiful thing in the context of the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. One more, like, biological, like, uh, viewpoint here I want to share with you. There's, like, this chemical in the brain, and it's called oxytocin. Oxytocin is called the love hormone. And oxytocin is released during sex, and childbirth. You might say, well, that, that seems a little odd. Why is that? It creates bonding. This chemical in the brain creates this bonding. They did this study one time where, where they get these guys together and they showed them pictures, pictures of, of their wife's face and, and homes and cars and, and other people. And they hook these electrodes up to them and they're watching the brain waves of, of what happens. And every time they would show these men a picture of their wife, that, that brain wave would just go ding, 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 ding. It would just go off because this oxytocin was being released. And every time they saw their spouse, it's just like, whoop, off the chart. And then they would show them a picture uh, of some other woman's face, and it wouldn't do that. It actually worked in the opposite, and it suppressed the oxytocin. And so the researchers said that that part of the brain where there's feelings of reward and pleasure, it just lit up because this oxytocin, it's released when men saw their spouse, and then it's suppressed when he saw some other woman. That's how much his wife tricked him into being attached to her. No, this is how God made it. 
This is how God made our bodies to create, you know, just be with an individual and to be one, one flesh with them. It is a beautiful thing. But then our culture comes along without any understanding or care for the truth of God's word. And they'll say, hey, guys, you, you want to know your, where your power's at? You, you want to know what it means to be a powerful man? You just sleep with as many women as you can. And Christianity comes along and says, oh, no, no, wait, that is not power. Power does not come in sleeping with a whole bunch of, of different people. Power and greatness is found in self-mastery. Being able to be the man of God that God has called you to be. Living with a king ruling your life. Sleeping with a bunch of people, that's simple. That's weak sauce. Living for God, being a man, is found under his submission. Not under your feelings or what you're designing for your own life, but what he has said. That's why you can't just live your life any way that you want to. Sleep with whomever you want. Come into this room and think that you and God are good and that it doesn't affect your soul. You're a whole person. Your body matters. Verse 13, chapter 6 says this. The body, the body, that word is soma. It means the physical body. The body's not meant for sexual immorality, pornea. The body matters. You know how much the body matters? The body matters so much that at the end of time, after you die, when Christ comes back, after judgment, your body and your spirit are reunited, either in heaven or in hell. In fact, in Mark chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus was speaking there again. He's like, hey, don't fear people who could kill the body and not touch your soul. Fear him who can take care of both your body and soul and place it into hell. That's not a pastor saying that. That's not like, just like, oh, let's make this thing. This is what Jesus himself has said. Your body is that important. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. Drop down to verse 18. Flee. Flee from sexual immorality. Run. See the fence. See the boundary. See the sign that says, road closed. Don't do it. And run. Go the other way. Don't even toy with it. Go. Run. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits, well, that's outside the body. But the sexually immoral, the pornea, the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Soma. Physically. This sexual sin is different than any other category. He says this, or don't you know? Don't you know that your body, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you. It's like you're a walking church. You are carrying within you the Spirit of God in this container, your body, which is not separate from your soul or your spirit. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. And maybe that's brand new information for you. You thought, well, I, I thought I was here for me. I thought I was here for my, my pleasure and whatever I feel. And I'm just going to lean into those things that gratify me. And God says, no, no, you're mine. Your body is mine. Your spirit, it's mine. Paul says, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your heart. 
glorify God in your mind. Yeah. But here he says, glorify God in your body. Because your body matters. What you do with your body matters. When Jesus Christ came, he gave his body. He, he didn't come along and just give his soul. He didn't just give a philosophy. The Bible tells us that when Jesus came, he came incarnate, which means he came into a body. And then he took that body and he went to a cross. And as his body hung there and bled, he died in the body for our sins. Those sins that we do in the body that affect our spirit. And when we come to this God who moves in the direction of his creation that he loves in body, soul, and spirit, and we see him on the cross, and we repent of our sins, and we say, Lord, forgive me, I want to walk with you, he comes and he frees us from the enslavement of that temptation of our body where we think, well, I just got to keep fulfilling this lust on the inside of me. And what we find in Christ through the power of his spirit is forgiveness and freedom and cleansing. All that stuff, all those places and things that we have been with our body. And when we come to Jesus Christ and make him our Lord and our Savior, we are then placed in the body of Christ. What you do with your body matters to you. What you do with your body matters to this church. The people who are in this room right now, if you are a Christian, what you do in the body matters, and it matters to the church universal, and it matters to your Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for making us, creating us, and giving us these bodies. For all of us who come to you today and, and we declare that Jesus is our Lord, we ask that we would align our lives wholly and completely, not just our heart, not just our mind, not just our beliefs, but our bodies to you. And for some of us in this room, as we've talked about this word pornea, we've been reminded that there's pornography in our lives. And some of us are going to have to go home and delete some apps, get rid of some websites. For others in this room, we've, we've been marching down a path that we know that we should not be. And you have said, this road is closed, flee, run from sexual immorality. And today we're going to have to turn around, face you, and move in your direction. For all of these things in our life, all that we face, all of the challenges that this world throws at us, the temptation that we find, and even for some of us, sin that we are in, we cannot accomplish this on our own. We need your spirit living inside of this temple that you have made so that we might find the power to walk in freedom, to walk in holiness as you give us ability. And that's from you. So we receive that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love for you to join us at one of our weekend worship services. For service times and information about BRCC, be sure to check out brookvilleroad.cc. God bless you.